Annyeonghaseyo. Hello and welcome back to the Hello Taekwondo podcast, the podcast for passionate martial artists. I'm your host, Josh DeVeradinas. We're talking about one of the fundamental aspects of Taekwondo, rank testing. Specifically, high rank testing, testing for third degree black belt and above. In this episode, we look at how to prepare for high rank testing so you give yourself the best chance to perform well. Joining us today is fourth degree senior black belt in Taekwondo, owner of Frisco Taekwondo America, Miss Mari Jimenez. Welcome to the podcast, Miss Jimenez. How are you doing today? Thanks, you know, I'm living living life. Yeah, it's good to have you. We're going to be talking about preparing for national testing. All right, so how do we do it? How do we prepare for national testing? Well, there's two parts to national testing that people need to conquer. You have the physical part that we all know about, you know, getting ready um, physically by our cardio, making sure our form looks good, and making sure that we know how to break our boards. But then I think a lot of people forget that there's a mental part that we need to conquer in order to get ready for national testing. National testing is testing for uh, what we would consider um, testing for third degree or above. Right, So you're a second degree senior or you're above and you're testing for another one of those higher ranks. That's a different testing. What is what is different about this testing at like a high rank testing than a normal testing at blue belt or first degree black belt even? I think the stakes are a little bit higher. You know, a lot of people flew or they traveled a long ways to go and test for their rank. But also I think even the ambiance is different, right? There's judges that you've never met before that are staring at you. And when you walk in, you can even feel the, all the nerves in the air. And you know you're going to spar people you've never sparred before. You're going to spar possibly one of the judges. And so I think national testing is just a little bit bigger of a beast than regular testing for going for a colored rank or any of the other lower black belt ranks is. So um, what... What should someone do? Let's start with somebody who's never been or never tested, never had uh, a testing at like a high rank testing. Where should they start? What should they do having never been? So my first recommendation for those types of people that have never been to a national testing before is to go to a national tournament and fill in at national testing. Just to know what you're going to expect. I think a lot of times we jump into something completely new, which is a harder experience than if you've already filled in and kind of understood how testing works. And also competing at national tournaments, competing at regional tournaments, making sure that you have that kind of what we call a bell curve of nerves, right? I think a lot of people don't realize that in psychology, especially that we have a bell curve of anxiety. And if you hit that middle point of your bell curve, that's when your performance is the highest too. So what is, I'm actually, I'm not sure that I'm familiar with this, uh, the bell curve of, what did you say, of nerves or anxiety? So it's technically of anxiety. So, um, in psychology, in order to have a higher performance, there's a bell curve. And if you have nerves, it's a good thing, right? That means that you care about the activity you're doing and that you want to be successful. That's why you're nervous. If you didn't care, you wouldn't be nervous. And so it's been studied that there's a bell curve and that you want to be at the top of the bell where you're not too anxious, where you're not going to perform. That's like from people get stage fright, 
but you're anxious enough where your adrenaline is pumping so it's able to help better your performance overall so is the bell curve so is it is it like anxiety on the x-axis so like the further you get and then it's like your performance is on the y so you have low anxiety low performance medium anxiety high performance high anxiety low performance exactly okay i just wanted to make i was thinking i was making sure i got that right in my head so um I agree with that though. I haven't I haven't heard of that one specifically, but I tell people all the time when they're getting ready for testing that you're going to be nervous. Uh, don't don't try to not be nervous. That's not the goal. The goal is to be nervous and just accept it and perform well anyway. Yeah, and so I mean, all my national testers, everyone in my school, we have I don't know. I would say about ten to fifteen high ranks at our school at the moment. And so all of them have been through national testing and we always take a seat and I say, good luck. You've got this. Just do it. Just do it. And that's the same speech Mr. Lacey used to give me. He'd be like, all right, Jimenez, just go out there. Try your best. Try your hardest. See ya. See you on the flip side. <laughs> so I think nervousness is a good thing, but you want to make sure you just know how to control it and control that anxiety. Do you think it gets worse? As you get through more national testings, uh, like high rank testing, do you think it gets better? Um, I feel like, I don't know, every testing is a little bit different yeah. for you personally. Like for me, I wasn't as nervous for my third degree testing per se. But when it came to my fourth degree senior testing, I, I knew I had a rougher time understanding the concepts of fourth degree and trying to master those. And I've been working so hard. So for me, there was more at stake for my fourth degree senior testing than it was for my third degree, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think for me, um, I'm never nervous until five minutes before. Like the five minutes before is when I'm like, wait, am I I testing today? (laughs) But like a week before, I'm never like I'm I'm just like, I know it's coming, but I feel like that's uh, that might just be me because that's me with deadlines anyway. Yeah. (laughs) So... (laughs) No, I, I'm a very big perfectionist when it comes to forms, when it comes to like, I expect a lot out of myself. And like, before I tested, for example, for fourth senior, I went to every single Taekwondo camp there was. Like I went to winter camp down in North Carolina. Um, I went to the Midwest camp. I went to our camp. I went to like some other skills camp in Tennessee. So I put a lot of expected expectations on myself because i don't want to just test i want to be the best person testing so how do you so specifically camps though um what do you what do you feel like you get out of going to camps to prepare for testing well other than just you know the obvious getting to spar so many different variety of people okay i'm getting people to watch my form and i remember specifically mr dang had specific feedback things that he looks for versus mr dominic who looks for another aspect of taekwondo versus mr kessler who does other forms of martial arts so he also looks for what his expectations are but i always make sure to go up to people who run taekwondo tables and the four main tables and go up to them and say hey i would really appreciate it if you could watch my form and give me some feedback and I think a lot of people take feedback as a negative thing. Mm -hmm. 
and as a negative criticism. But for me, I love, I enjoy getting feedback because it truly is what has helped me grow as a martial artist. You have that added advantage of knowing uh, who's going to be behind the table. Like, you know them, you've met them. I mean, what do you say to somebody like you've got this hypothetical person, third degree, so-and-so from, you know, you know, city town, USA, Taekwondo America, wherever in the country, and they don't know, right? They don't know who they should be asking to watch their form. Not that there's a better option than a specific, you know, not that there's one specific person that's better than another, but what should they be looking for to get that feedback? Um, well, they always do typically at camps, a national testing review. And so I would definitely recommend going to those but also just going to somebody that just taught your class, for example. A lot of times, a majority of the times, it's going to be someone who owns a school and then that knows what they're doing. So what I would recommend is after they're done teaching the class they're supposed to teach, like let's say it's a bow staff class or I don't know, a, a drills class. Yeah, kicking drills. Exactly, and going up to them and saying, hey, would you mind watching my form? But I think you have to overcome being shy. I think I don't have that issue. I'm not a very <laughs> shy person. <laughs> um, but you have to overcome that in order to get the most feedback possible. Okay. And I know like you often go to just like different schools, not even events. Like you just like kind of pop in other schools. Is that right? And you just like have them watch your form. You're not shy. You just show up and you're just like un- unannounced. Just like, watch my form. <laughs> um, I mean, I tell someone if I'm going to show up to their school. Okay. But... You, tell, you don't ask. She tells them <laughs> I'm showing up. Yeah. Well, I, I enjoy like training with different people. I think part of Taekwondo, what makes it such a cool sport is that so many people share a passion for it and being able to travel around the country and see your friends and they're you're do, they're doing the exact same thing, trying to pursue the exact same goals as you, and that type of community is such a unique part to Taekwondo. But so okay, so let's back up here. So we've got uh, on our on our checklist of things that you should do to prepare for high rank testing. And I mean honestly, that's specifically what we're talking about today. But anyone who's testing for any belt could potentially follow the same checklist but on the checklist i guess we've got go to as many events as possible um not just to go but to have those eyeballs on your form on your sparring to spar different people let's let's dive into more of that like why is it important to spar different people before you go to testing i ask not uh pretending to not know the answer (laughs) well a lot of times when you go to your school, right, you know exactly how your best friend spars. Right. And you know exactly how your school spars. You're sparring the same 20 people. Yeah. With, you know, you, you'll, you'll spar different people in different classes, but over a two-month time period, you're going to spar the, everybody. Exactly. And I think getting out of that comfort zone is such a big thing, and it involves you a lot as a sparer. But for me, for example, I liked going to different regions because different regions have different philosophies and even like different schools. Like Mr. Kessler is famous for his leg checks. Mm-hmm. And like, I was just so curious on how he leg checks people and like hearing him talk about it. For me, it kind of clicks it. I'm like, Oh, huh. That's how you do it. Yeah. You get these different perspectives. And then like, I remember sparring 
<laughs> Mr. Langlois. Oh, man, that was an eye opener because the way he <laughs> uses his hands to compliment his kicks is really, really intelligent. But then I made sure to take time to spar him and Mr. Krinsky at winter camp just because I wanted to know, like, how can I be better? Because I know ex- I'm not going to spar exactly like them. We're not built the same way. Right. But I want to take what they're doing and make it into something that I can do for myself. Yeah. And I guess for anyone listening, like you make sure like talk to the person that you're sparring like afterwards. Cause like I've sparred Mr. Langlois before uh, multiple times. I don't know what he's doing with his hands. I just know that I keep getting hit. And then by going to these events and sparring all these different people, the chances are you're going to see them again at national testing. Like I remember going to winter camp and sparring and I sparred Mr. Bobby Lacey and he jumped out in front of me to spar me for my fourth senior testing. And I was like, oh, okay. And then the same thing happened when I lived in Virginia. I went down to North Carolina and I would do their summer regional tour. And even though it was a three-hour drive every single time, I would make it, I made it to every single one. And I remember for that testing, Mr. Dang hopped out in front of me. And I was like, okay, I've already sparred him. I'm not quite as nervous because I know what he spars like it's not you're not completely blindsided yeah it's not a mystery game anymore i totally i totally hear what you're saying you know go out spar different people get their feedback you might even spar somebody that you would spar at national testing and you don't know who you're going to spar at national testing you don't know i mean it could be anybody is how do you prepare how do you prepare for the situation where you don't know the person at all um i think the biggest thing is just to be intelligent I think a lot of times people have a checklist of, I have to throw this amount of 360s. I have to throw this combination. And I don't really think that way. I'm only five foot two. Um, and I'm not very flexible. I'm not very flashy of a person, but I can throw a sidekick. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always tell my guys, a sidekick is probably one of the most underutilized tools and a good sidekick where you're hitting someone on that hip bone and being able to control that distance. So I'm typically a little bit more cautionary when it comes to sparring someone. I have no clue what they're like, especially someone with a really long legs, because mm. I know for them, it's going to be a lot easier to kick me upside of the head. Right. And I mean, my advice to that, to add on to that, uh, would be if you're sparring somebody for the very first time, like just pay attention just don't just focus on what you're doing don't spar with blinders on like you're saying like well i should probably i'm gonna do a 360 because i should do a 360 like that's a that's a terrible terrible plan plan yeah you should be you should it's like playing a game of chess and only looking at your pieces exactly and i think people sometimes get too caught up on what they're doing and they're not noticing that their punt partner just punched them in the head 50 times right yeah but yeah keep your hands up and let them throw a couple of techniques and then base your reaction of what off of what they're throwing and don't be afraid to change what you're doing if what you're doing isn't working yeah change it abort plan <laughs> abort <laughs> <Do> that mission <laughs> have a plan b have a plan c and then have a plan d as well because you're gonna need them all and um and especially between rounds, I think that people make this mistake when they go to like these high rank testings of sparring the same round 
all four rounds that they're going to spar. They spar, they spar four different people as if they were sparring the same person four times because they're not paying attention to their partner. They've decided this is how I'm going to spar this round, no matter who steps out in front of me. And that's detrimental to their performance of testing. Yeah, you need to be able to say and be able to analyze your partner in a way that's efficient. I think a lot of times we're just too caught up like in the testing and the rush and we don't take a time to like take a breath and let them throw what they're going to throw and see what their abilities are and be able to react properly. And so if you spar a lot, you get used to being like, Oh, Mr. Anderson has, is pretty tall. He's definitely bigger than me. I got to figure out how to adjust it versus if I spar Miss Sullivan She's not that tall. She's not that much bigger than me, even though she likes to say she's like two inches taller. Whatever. Is she two inches taller? No, she's only one. One <laughs> inch, Miss Sullivan. One. <laughs> we'll have to have her back on the podcast to confirm or deny. And so with her, for me, it's a little bit more of a fair round because she's just not as tall as Mr. Anderson is. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, we I mean, we can go further into sparring. Uh, we can maybe come circle back around to it. But so we're talking about like kind of the specifics. Well, let, let's do that now, actually. So what are some of these specific things that someone needs to be focusing on in their sparring to make sure that they perform well at testing? Like, What are the judges looking for? What should they be focusing on? Good defense, I think, is probably the number one issue. Um, defense to me is my lifeline because mm-hmm. I'm just I'm a tiny person <laughs> uh, and I can it's really easy to be caught up in someone. And so having good angles coming in at an angle and coming out of a different angle, being able to attack off of different sides, using different techniques to start. I think all of those are a pretty good defensive measure just because you're throwing something different every time. You're not becoming predictable. Oh yeah, for sure. I That's, that's one of the things that I like talk about all the time is don't be predictable. Your partner should not know what you're going to do before you do it. And um, I think what people need to do, oh, a drill that I love um, to get ready for um, testing or just even just in general, just general sparring. But a drill that I love is to try to spar differently. And that, that like, let me explain, because that just sounds like very vague and like stupid. <laughs> um, but um, sparring specifically differently than how you spar which until you started practicing that is so difficult because you think to yourself like i don't i don't know how i spar i just that's just how i spar you don't stop and really analyze it and think about what you do and i think that if you get really good at analyzing what you do and also being able to analyze what your partner does and if you can use that drill and like even think of a specific person i think is really fun sometimes like you know i'm gonna think of somebody and i'm gonna spar like them during this round And then I'm going to spar like this other person during this other round. And I picked up that drill. I picked up that drill from going to a camp. Oh my gosh, bring it full circle. (laughs) And so I think that that helps people. If they get good at that, it'll help them not fall into that trap of just having blinders and just like, I'll just do what I do and not adjust and not focus on my partner. Because if you can change your sparring, you can adapt it to how you want it to fit your partner. Yeah, and I think there's different drills. Like, I know Mr. Lacey used to make us a drill where you can only spar with your left side. You can only spar with your right side. Yeah. And then... I like those kinds. Yeah, he makes you really think about 
only hands, only feet, only defense, only offense, and then no round kicks Mm -hmm. or only double kicks. And so I remember going through those drills and being like, oh, when you're going through them, you're like, oh, I just want to use my right side. I'm a left side. So I'm like, oh, just want to use my right side. But no. And so I think it forces you to adjust but it gives you more tools for your toolbox to use later on. You can like explore. You're, you're like, I didn't think that. I, I I didn't think about using this kick until it was the only option I had left because I couldn't rely on good old, you know, faithful number two round kick with the right leg. <laughs> and I think it forces you to think about sparring because I think a lot of times we go through the motions of sparring, but we never take the time to analyze our sparring. Like I enjoy looking at the way i used to spar like i have old videos and i'm like oh oh it's the worst yeah i was like i would beat myself up right now (laughs) if you ever need a good cry watch a video of yourself doing martial arts you'll never look as good as you think you did in your mind you'll always look at it and wonder like why did nobody tell me i suck this much (laughs) yeah green belt me (laughs) was rough That and I, I'm just talking about like if you showed me a video of me from like last week, like like I'm not talking. The green belt is a whole different ballpark. Oh yeah, but I think at that point, a lot of times people take for granted what they're throwing, and it takes another person to kind of challenge them to be like, oh, maybe I should change the way I'm starting to spar. And so I think we all go through phases. And I know I did a really big exploratory phase around my like third degree-ish because I just wasn't changing it up enough. And I was like, huh, what do I need to do differently? So that's when I did the whole tour of North Carolina. And I went home to Texas and I went to every single sparring workout because I I personally wanted to change something. Yeah. And I know like I learned how to fake a kick, which really helped. Yeah. I was like, oh, didn't know this was a thing. But I think going to all of those being consistently challenged by people has really helped me become better. And I hope that people who listen to this or who are my students (laughs) (laughs) take that advice. But a lot of like these guys watching them grow into martial artists and watching them being challenged and them accepting it and starting to be like, okay, I got this, or this is how I'm going to have to spar. It's a really awesome thing to watch them grow up and become like third seniors and third decided. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, oh, well, didn't know we were going to make it this far, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but so on the Taekwondo checklist um, that we have to look at is if they had good combinations, good defense, good movement, if they gassed, um, if their hands were up, if if they were using different combinations, not just combinations. Not the same combo over, over and, and over. over again, yeah. And so po- you have to do like positive negatives on those. But I think one that's missing from there is intelligence. I think that's something that's really underrated in Taekwondo. <laughs> Take an IQ test for the, <laughs> for the testing. Well, like me and Mr. Lazy talk about this a lot, that a lot of people don't appreciate intelligent sparring. Right. And intelligent sparring is understanding that your partner is going to punch and kick at you, but you know how to react to it and how to end up 
being the person who ends up winning and being smarter about the way you take hits and things like that and the way you're moving. I think movement patterns is one of those things that you really have to work on to get really good at sparring. And it brings it back to like what we were talking about earlier, like paying attention to your partner, you know, noticing how they're moving. If you're only focused on what you're doing, you, you won't be able to spar intelligently because you'll just be doing your own. You'll be sparring in like your own little world and your own little universe. And besides uh, sparring, I mean, you know, the testing is in three parts. We've got forms and board breaking. And we've kind of broken down a lot of like what you can do well in sparring and what will really help you like show the judges like, hey, I'm ready for the next belt. And I showed enough training in my level of cardio. Uh, Yeah, you did. Like you mentioned, like gassing out. Like, so yeah, if you're getting ready for testing, don't practice sparring for two minute rounds. You need to be practicing sparring like eight two minute rounds or like four four minute rounds. Like, you know, you why why just be prepared just enough? Because when you get nervous, it's going to you're going to use that energy way faster and you're not going to be prepared. Over preparing for sparring and for nationally testing is a better plan than coming in just prepared enough or underprepared. Right. Because like if you're just prepared enough, what if you don't have any wiggle room? What if something goes wrong? Right. What if you didn't get as good of a night's sleep the night before because it's the night before testing? And so now you don't have as much energy as you would have normally had. And so now you're underprepared. Exactly. Or I know I was in a situation once where somebody got injured their first round of sparring. Oh, man. And I was the fill in. So then I had to fill in the next round. But then it turned out to be my national testing sparring. And so I ended up sparring five rounds. (laughs) Instead of the usual four, but then I had to fill in because nobody was jumping out there for women. Yeah. So I ended up sparring like 10 rounds that testing. But I was prepared. You were prepared. But I was prepared. Most people would not have been prepared. But then, I don't know, you kind of walk in and you feel like maybe you've done everything wrong and then you come in and you're like, oh, it's your go time. I don't know if you feel that way. I, I never. No matter how much I prepare, I've never like started a national testing and like felt like I'm ready for ready. this. Yeah, yeah, no, I've never been like, OK, let's do this. I'm like, OK, let's do this. <laughs> I think like once we like say Troy up Kanye and we bow like my like I don't remember anything that happens during testing. Oh, yeah, for sure. I know how you, like it, it, it somehow it somehow feels like it takes a lifetime, but also like it wasn't long enough. And then you can tell me like, I'm extremely tired. It felt like I just blinked and I like blacked out for a second and I don't know what happened, but also it felt like an eternity has passed and I'm like ready to like take a nap. Yeah. And then you have to, if you're a September or January tester, get up and compete. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Um, now let's talk about forms. Cause we, we haven't, you know, really jumped in there yet. So forms, it's a little bit, uh, well, because I'm compared to sparring, forms is a little bit more cut and dry. There is room for uh, judgment in like how you're performing the technique, but with with sparring, there is no objective. Like this is the exact thing you have to do to pass. Whereas, whereas forms, you you start out with like the minimum is you have to you have to do it correctly, and then they also care about other stuff past that. So, how do you prepare for forms for high rank testing? For forms, I think number one, uh, learning your form, top thing, 
you got to have the moves right and correct. And second of all, when you're throwing your form, throwing it like you mean it every single time. Like a lot of times I'll watch my I'll watch my testers um, throw a form and I'm like, is that the strongest they c- you can do it? And they're like, yes, that's the strongest. I'm like, all right, say the ABCs. And they can say A, B, C, D, perfectly fine. I'm like, if you're still saying the ABCs like that, that means you're not breathing hard enough. That means you didn't work hard enough. Right. And so I think getting to that mindset where you have to throw every single thing with power. Like you mean it. Yeah. Like for real, like you're really blocking something or really punching something. Because the form is an imaginary fight. And if you don't treat it that way, that's a waste of space. Yeah. This is it's, it's one of that's one of my personal pet peeves is watching somebody do a form and them just going through the motions like yeah, patty cake in it. Like if you think that you're going to just kind of do your form and then when you get to testing, then you'll actually perform it really strong. Like if you think that you're going to have a different result than how you've been practicing, you're mistaken. I, you're you should be doing your form in training exactly how you want to look at testing right that's the one that makes the most sense why would you why would you do it differently at, like you you should be practicing exactly how you want it to look and i can't stand when i watch people that do it at like 80 percent. like it's not even a bad form but it's like you're doing it at 80 percent, and you're expecting to just pull a hundred percent out of your butt on the day of testing when yeah. you didn't even practice having a hundred percent exactly and i think I don't know. A lot of people try to do it that way, but out of practice, that's where perfection comes from, or at least as close as perfect as you're going to get it. Um, But also, I think being able to perform with doing your form with distractions. Mm -hmm. And I know Mr. Scott has people throw like balls at him while he's doing his form. And I kind of stole that drill because I kind of like hitting my testers with dodgeballs <laughs> and it's a fun way to like entertain the rest of class too but it helps them realize that they should be able to do their form in any situation and to always be prepared to throw that form twice yeah i think a lot of yes, people yes don't prepare for that but you don't know right like the judge could have thought this one detail was incorrect and it's a maybe so so but i think also getting all those people to watch your forms is important because what you don't want to have is a bunch of little mistakes within your form that add up to a big mistake exactly like i've heard it being referenced as the death by a thousand cuts that's exactly how i describe it to people too that's how i say it yeah and i know i had a pre-qualifier this weekend and i told her well, this is a little mistake we need to fix. This is a little mistake. And she was like, well, would that no change made national testing? And I was like, if it was just that single mistake, it probably wouldn't be a big deal. But it's the same thing as looking at a paper cut. A paper cut, no big deal, right? You're not going to die from it. But if you have like a thousand paper cuts, you're probably going to bleed out. <laughs> I, uh, I actually, I hate that question of, would I fail at testing for this? Not because it's a bad question, right? But it's usually asked for the wrong reasons. It's not asked so you can like know to fix it. I get that asked by students knowing whether or not they should just, you know, they can just ignore it, right? Right. It's like, tell me if I would fail for this so I can decide to ignore it or not. And I hate that. And that's why I hate that question because you shouldn't go in 
and I think I think I, we talked about this in the episode with uh, Mr. Krinsky. I think I talked about this exact same thing. But you shouldn't go in to testing and just be uh, prepared enough to pass by the skin of your teeth because you're like, well, this you know this is good enough. You you everything should be able to fail you at testing. Consider everything a failing technique, right? If your double knife and block is slightly out of place, consider that a failing move so that you are motivated to fix it. Yeah, I tell them their goal is to get back their testing sheet and to have a smiley face on it. Yeah, that'd notes. be nice. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's great. You've it's gotten great. that. I've gotten a couple. Oh man, um, <laughs> mine just had a mine just had a sad face. <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> Little tears. <laughs> it was a crying emoji. <laughs> it was a throwing up emoji. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, preparing for forms you know, and giving it a hundred percent, like you mentioned before of like, are you prepared to be able to do it twice? And I tell people, I say, if you do your form once and the judges decide that they want you to do it a second time, you have to do that form as good or better. Because if there was something that was, they didn't like doing it as good as the way you just did it would make you fail because they clearly didn't like it. So you have to have enough energy to do your form as good, or even try to make it even better than you did the first time. Yeah. And I think, in talking about this, that we should also note that we're not looking to fail everybody as judges. Um, maybe you are. I'm not. I'm not. What you heard is not true about me. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, none of the judges are up there looking for ways that they can like throw the book at you and be like, ha I caught him. Now we can fail him. That's not what the judges are looking for. But we want to make sure that we're upholding certain standards for each rank and that people who have been putting in the work get rewarded for that if they're doing all the correct things but if you are making those little mistakes but not taking the time to fix them that's when you should be a little bit more concerned yeah and with forms it's like it's actually i feel like it's the opposite of sparring in sparring i would encourage you focus more on what your partner's doing in forms that's when you need to like hyper focus on what am i doing like be aware of every little motion that you're making so you don't let these bad habits creep in of like doing just moves weird or wrong or just awkward i guess the the last one to talk about is uh board breaking oh man well how do you prepare for board breaking? You break your boards and that's hit, it. Hit it hard, fast, and in the middle. And you should be fine. Um, I think the biggest mistake with board breaking is probably people doing silly things. Like cross-graining their boards. That's where you flip one board and it go the grains go one direction. And then you flip your other board and your board goes the other direction. Yeah, your board will not break. You're not going to break that. I've only seen one person ever do that. You're, no, no, don't listen to that, folks. It's not going to break. <laughs> don't try it. Your grain has to follow the same direction on every board. And if you're listening, I would assume you would li- know what we're talking about. But get a wooden board and look at it, and you'll ha- see that wooden texture, the lines. The lines on every board need to be going the same direction as every other board. I think the biggest issue with board breaking, even with the lower ranks, is just a mental issue. As in, it's a mentality issue where if you don't believe you can break your board, you're not going to be able to break your board. Easy as that. Yeah. And you have to be able to overcome it and say, all right, this is what I need to work on. There's a lot of different drills, a lot of different things to help you overcome that fear of board breaking, but you have to do that yourself. Like, I could tell you a million times, Josh, you're great. 
But if you... <laughs> Thank you. But if you don't believe it yourself, what is that worth? Right. And so... Just a bunch of compliments. Yeah. It's just a bunch of compliments you're brushing off. Yeah. And same thing with board breaking. You could... Your board your instructor could tell you a million different ways to board break. Someone else could tell you a million different ways. But until you gain that confidence to board break, you're not going to do it. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that I see for board breaking that I think people get wrong is they are okay like they're happy with the ratio of them practicing where they break it like one out of three tries like they're happy with that they're like this is enough okay i know i can break it out of three tries like once every third try i'm not happy with that to prepare for testing especially when you're going to like high rank testing you've got these wooden boards you've got you know depending on how old and your uh rank and your uh gender but you've got like these like boards on boards on boards and to break you know stacked i don't feel like that's a good ratio for me like i don't want to be like well i know i can do my elbow strike one out of three tries like that's that's what you get you get three tries but i want to go in being like i can get it four out of five tries right i want a better ratio and uh, I would just say, like, I think, and you kind of mentioned this about, like, believing or not, like, you're going to break the board or not. But, like, I think people get hyper fixated on the wrong details of board breaking. You see them up there and they put the board up there and they move it a quarter inch to the left and they stand back and look at it. They move it a quarter inch up and they, like, tilt it one degree forward. And it's like, this is these, none of that has changed anything about the board and you breaking it at all and i think it just comes down to consistency you have to practice your board breaking if you're getting ready for testing do it often and build up consistency in your motion because when you practice board breaking sometimes you'll do the kick perfectly and then the next time you do it it'll fall apart and that's just because if you're not stopping and thinking about every little motion you mess up so you have to be able to practice until it becomes second nature that perfect sidekick you shouldn't have to think about exactly how you're doing it yeah, you should just be able to do it because you've done it over and over and over. Yeah, and I think national testing presents a challenge for a lot of people because it's the first time they either go up to a double board or a triple board. Right. And I think the biggest advice there is to uh, make sure your middles touch. Oh, the middle of the board? Yeah. Yeah. If they're, if they're warped a bit. Yeah, because I've seen people like do completely... If you don't let your middles touch, you're adding on extra distance that you need to break through. I do that on purpose. I'm like, I want it tougher. No, I don't do that on purpose. <laughs> I actually, till recently, didn't even you didn't even consider that as part of mine. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you want to put everything in your favor, like to have the middle of the board touch the middle of the next board. So what basically we're saying is, if the if the boards are arcing any specific way, don't have them arc away from each other. Have the have them touch in the middle if you can. Yeah whatever works for your testing that's the thing that's the beauty about this it's your testing you you know what you need to do to prepare or if you don't know what you need to do to prepare go back and start this episode over <laughs> and listen to it from the beginning and and just the the more testings you go to and as you can probably attest to you it never feels normal like it never feels like comforting but you do start to understand what you need to do to prepare yeah. And I mean, it's just the simplest things, right? And going out there and being courteous and making sure that you're shaking people's hands and thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Because that's just what Taekwondo is based on. Courtesy. It's the basic tenets. Right, right. And so if you don't demonstrate that, it's a big no-no in my book. 
I agreed. Because one of the things that we do look for is indomitable spirit. It's on the paper. It's, it's on- like there's a check mark for pass or fail for indomitable spirit. spirit. Yeah, it's in the instructor manual too. So if you're throwing a hissy fit, just don't do it. Like it's not the time. And you gotta sometimes like suck it up, Buttercup. Like you're probably I've gotten injured before. Like I twisted my ankle during my national testing one time. But I just sucked it up and I was like, we're going to finish these rounds. And you got to be able to have that tough mentality of we've got this. Let's do it. Let's put it all out there. And if it's not good enough, then we'll get back up and try again. Yeah. There'll be another event. Yeah. You'll be another testing. There's another testing in four months. I promise. All right. Well, Miss Jimenez, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast today. Thank you for coming and joining us today. Thanks, Mr. D. Berardinas. <laughs> DB. <laughs> thank you thank you for coming on (laughs) well i hope you guys enjoyed our episode for today if you want to continue to hear more episodes make sure you guys subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform or by heading to hellotaekwondo.com a huge shout out to all of our supporters who donate to the podcast every month We appreciate all of you so much. If you love the show, consider becoming one of our donors. You can contribute to the show for as little as 99 cents a month. Just head on over to hellotaekwondo.com slash support. Thank you again for listening and supporting the podcast. It's all of you guys that make it possible. Till next time, keep kicking, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Hello Taekwondo Podcast.